Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... Fake Meat by Issa Chandra Moskowitz. Hi, Johnny. Hold on to your hats. <laughs> Victoria. We got a bumpy ride, yeah. Are you are you ready? I are, are, are you are you feeling salty? Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, uh, we'll just jump right into it. We've got a fun-filled show. And thanks to everyone that tuned into our previous episode uh where we picked our top five cookbooks of last year. Thank you for that. It's been getting a lot of response. If you haven't listened yet, stop what you're doing, drop everything, and go back and listen to episode 89 uh, before you proceed with this, right? Also, I have to say it was kind of nice because there were several people who messaged us and were like, when are you doing your top five? Then that made me feel really guilty. I know. I didn't know we had such a such a fan base. <laughs> the pressure was on. I, I felt an obligation right? to get that out there. But it, we're back at it. As we said in the previous episode, we did skip ahead to the most recent book that we featured just so we can get caught up and then moving forward be consistent with a weekly episode. So apologies if you were maybe expecting one. Maybe we'll come back to them. Probably not. Yeah. All right. Before we jump into this episode, uh, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. If you go to the website, wecookbooks.com, click that store tab. That will direct you to our amazon.com affiliate page. We've got some lists there. Um, I did update the cookbooks one in particular, and it's uh, now featuring all of the ones that ended up on our year-end list. We also have a blog post that expands that into top 10. The uh, podcast just covered the top five. They're all up there on the cookbook list, so... You are so excited. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, this, uh, it's the liquid death. Uh, I'm drinking the, the mango chainsaw. All right. I'm murdering my thirst and um, amplifying my enthusiasm at Great. the same time. Great. Right? Sure. <laughs> but yeah, so you make a purchase at any of those uh, lists that we've got up there. We get a little Amazon affiliate coin... Coin being <laughs> not plural, <laughs> and um, you get a little something in return. Doesn't cost you anything more. It's the best way that you can support what we're doing. Besides, maybe sending us a hundred dollar bill in an envelope, which we're not opposed to either. I'll I'll provide the address before the end of the show. So, without further ado, let's discuss what we've been drinking. The most important thing. What are we? Dr- what are we drinking right now? Yeah. Well, besides your liquid death. Yeah, I'm kind of two fisting it here. <laughs> you are. We're just drinking like a hard kombucha. We're I just made like a little, poured a little vodka in a glass, used kombucha as a mixer. I think this cocktail is good for your gut health. Right? <laughs> We're being healthy. Well, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say that. We'll, yes. If, if we 
will it so it will be that's my story so <laughs> i wanted to discuss your uh recent birthday dinner <gasps> yes. you celebrated a, a birthday mm-hmm. 26 never looked so great well i thank you um and to to commemorate your birthday we went out on a little fancy date um, it was cold as fuck that night. It was <laughs> freezing. Which is not uncommon for Minneapolis in January. Right. But uh, we, we, we began things by uh, summoning a lift because we're no dummies. We're responsible. And we went to a classic <gasps> historical Minneapolis bar, the Monte Carlo. Yes. It's been around since 1906. It's a gorgeous bar. And I swear to God, everybody that works there... Looks like they've been working there since 1906. Absolutely. I don't know what they did during Prohibition. I don't know. Yeah, and everyone wears um, the servers, I guess, uh, where like these... They're kind of like weird, like 50s, like... They remind me of... They look like maid's uniforms. They look like maid uniforms or like a fancier version of like a diner uniform yes and i had beautiful bar beautiful bar you walk in and that's what you know greets you and it, it it's it's a gorgeous bar it's it's probably the original bar mm-hmm. and it and it and it looks like it it's it's gorgeous Ton, i mean bottles stacked on the shelves from the bar counter to the ceiling mm-hmm. and, and it's it's a sight to behold it make like i feel so fancy when i'm there it's like stepping back in time it is so we so we just had a pre-dinner cocktail just one didn't get crazy oh but there was a oh uh, there was drama oh there was drama this woman came down to one end of the bar and she must have been cut off or something i heard her before i saw her she was drunk as a skunk and all I heard her say something, she was like, I've got money. I'm going to shoot your face off. Well, it didn't, it didn't escalate that quickly, but she did start uh, complaining about, you know, I, I got money, motherfucker. And she was like yelling at the, no one in particular, really, the bartender. Yeah, the bartender was just kind the, of ignoring the, her. The, the host, whoever would really listen which was no one. <laughs> and we were kind of like in the middle of this uh, drama unfolding. And uh, yeah, I mean, what from what we could make out, she got cut off. Mm-hmm. She was not helping her situation any by getting agitated Mm-mm. and then it and then it escalated with do you know who my father is oh yeah there was something about mob ties yeah in like there. my father is uh this person who i didn't recognize you know I, i'm not i'm not up to date on uh, minneapolis mob <laughs> history lore but uh she was dropping names and uh, which meant that that was probably not her father but right. uh and I, I feel like if you were the mob boss of uh, Minneapolis, you were probably sent there as punishment for something you did elsewhere. So. Absolutely. But then she, she actually did threaten the staff and said that her mob boss father was going to shoot them in the face. Yeah. And that's when we were, that's like when the record scratched at the I party. Know. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and this was like toward the end of our drink and we were already like ordering a lift to go to the restaurant and... That was kind of where things left off for us, you know, and and plus we just wanted to kind of like remove ourselves from that (laughs) escalating situation anyway. It's kind of nice to start your evening out with a little bit of drama that doesn't really involve you. Who needs TV? (laughs) Then we went to um, Umbra, which is in uh, the Hilton Hotel Mm -hmm. downtown. 
gorgeous space to begin with. Like as you walk in, I mean, it doesn't even have a typical restaurant feel. It was kind of like walking into like a hotel lobby or something, just nice and open and airy and comfortable furniture and flattering lighting and high ceilings. It's been a long time since I've eaten in a in a like hotel restaurant. So who knows? Maybe that's how they are making them these days. The service was amazing service was great our server was so nice great food food was fantastic want me me to recap absolutely so we started things off with a burrata salad not just any burrata salad victoria (laughs) i know i was there uh, arugula chimichurri your old pal chimichurri Mm -hmm. passion fruit pickled watermelon daikon Kalamata olives. So good. It was good. And really? I think just looking at that ingredient list, I think that's what was kind of intriguing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we have to order that. Then we had, well, I had a French onion soup, which was the best French onion soup I've ever had. Ugh. And the, the whole time I was enjoying this, I was just blissfully exclaiming like how awesome this was. But you couldn't eat it because it had the big, you know as typical with French onion soup, had the big like giant crouton. With the cheese. Yes. I mean, that is the best part of the French onion soup. But then I exerted some influence on my own with the server, (laughs) much like the woman at the Monte Carlo did. And I was like, hey, I was just exclaiming to my wife here how amazing this French onion soup is. And I wanted her to try it, but she can't do gluten. Is there any chance you could maybe just bring out, you know, a little nothing? I'm not asking for like a free dish or anything. Just, you know, throw some in a little shot glass or something and bring it out so she can just taste it. Because the flavor was like, oh, depth of flavor was amazing. To their credit, they actually brought you some. They brought me out a little ramekin. Was it not the best French onion soup you've ever had? It was Delicious. I, I it was lying. delicious. Dark, deep, mm. depth of flavor, mm-hmm. everything. I mean, I make a mean French onion soup, but this was like... Next level. Uh-huh. Um, and then what did you have for your main course? I had the lamb chops. Oh, so delicious. Delicious, right? Mm-hmm. I think they had some chimichurri. Yes. Yeah. Why not? I mean, you had some from the burrata salad. Might as well throw some on the <laughs> lamb chops, too. Chimichurri for everyone. Yes. Um, I had a dry-aged bone-in pork chop with the uh, the presentation. They brought this thing out. The bone was like standing upright like a skyscraper, summoning the heavens. Oh, my God. Would you calm down? Right? <laughs> it was gorgeous, though. Yeah. I think I put some photos up on our, our feed. <laughs> um, and it was uh, cognac, apple, and then like a pickled mustard seed. I mean, who pickles mustard seeds? I mean, plenty of people, but... <laughs> Not us. <laughs> And then uh, once they discovered it was your birthday, you know, because we didn't make a big, you know, fanfare out of this. It was just like we made reservations. But then they, f- they found out it was your birthday. They brought out un- unexpectedly a chocolate lava cake with uh, caramel and ice cream. And we were so full at this point. I already. know. Like we were not expecting to eat dessert. When we do eat dessert at home, it's rare that we would just have it immediately after eating dinner. It's usually like, you know, an hour or two later. Yeah. Got to let things settle. Got to break out of my food coma. So, I mean, by the time we got home, I was probably a little tipsy and like uncomfortably full. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they bring out this cake. You can't be rude and not eat some of it, you know. Be like, no, thanks. Was that your phone? 
Yes, we I'm, run a professional operation here, Thede. Okay, I'm turn. I'm turning it <laughs> off. My bad. Yeah. So so we we they they were just so generous with their you know, the service and and the food was amazing and just made us feel welcome and uh, you you could do much worse if you find yourself in Minneapolis in January. Go go check out Umbra. Ten ten would go again. Yes, it is a bit spendy, but that's what special occasions are for. Yep. Not I not mean, not a place not, where I would go have lunch every day. Nothing but the best for my wife on her twenty <laughs> sixth birthday. Um, oh, we went to, we went out on a little date yesterday. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, a little day date. Yes, um, which which involved bowling at Elsie's, which is another classic Minneapolis institution. It's been there since what the fifties, probably. Mm-hmm. Classic bowling alley, wood paneling. Uh, you know, they they've, they've updated it. It's very nice. now. They've updated it where it matters. You know, they've got the video screens for keeping score. They've got the neon lights. They've got automated. You can push a button and the bumpers will yep. come out from the lanes if, if you are, you know, like me and throwing gutter balls all the time <laughs> and you need a little assistance. But it still has like the same shoes from the 1950s. No, probably. it doesn't. You don't think? No, they didn't have Velcro, <laughs> like Velcro shoes back no, in the you're 50s. You're probably right. <laughs> They updated the shoes too, because when I when I was a wee lad, I was on a, a Saturday morning bowling league. I had a, a hundred and eleven bowling average, and now it hasn't changed. <laughs> well, I mean, now I'm lucky if I can break like a hundred. Yeah, you still beat me though. Ooh, we were we were next to some people in the adjacent lane. That man, they were like throwing rocks. They yeah These they must two have guys, been man they must have been league bowlers Ooh. they had some they had their own bowling shoes which looked like athletic shoes and probably their own balls they had their own balls I know one guy had two balls Whoa. it was really most guys <laughs> have two balls unless something I, I, happened I don't to know you. if this is like breaking news to you but uh, I'll, I'll just throw that out there right now uh, but yeah that was that was fun and then. Uh, we we decided to keep the party going, and we went to uh, we we were like in the neighborhood where you throw a rock and you can hit a dive bar, and so we were like, let's go find a dive bar and let's go to one that we've not yet been to before. Yes. And it didn't take much searching. We drove a couple blocks and went to a place called Dusty's. And dusty it was. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up. Saw the ceiling fan and the uh, three-inch layer of dust on the blades, and was like, "I think I know why it got its name." But it was a to- it was a total dive bar. It was, a it was great, dive bar. yeah. And then we just drank a drank a whiskey there and uh, didn't get stabbed. Nope. So success. Anything else on that? It was a, it was a, it was a pleasant day date. Yeah. Although, cocktails. although you know, me being an old hag, uh, twenty six. I will. I woke up this morning, and well, yesterday was leg day at the gym, and so I woke up this morning, and I was pretty sore. Like my back and legs hurt. This is weird because that was donut day for me. <laughs> I just like sat on one of the weight benches and ate a dozen donuts. Sure. Uh huh. <laughs> Um, You're so dumb sometimes. <laughs> I try. Oh, and, and, and to bring this all full circle, the the only other thing I wanted to discuss before we kind of talk about what we're what we're working on and then dive into this book eventually is um, I ran across this uh, article. It's, it's this is food news related. So this is from Grub Street. It's a recent article from February second. It's uh, entitled "The New Rules of Tipping." The reason I thought this was appropriate to discuss. <laughs> 
because when we were bowling. What, no, we went up to go get our lane and you paid for it. Right. When you paid for it, the option of a tip came up. Right. For and it someone, you, and for, it gives you a suggested tip. And now, keep in mind, bowling is not cheap. I remember when you could go and you know three bucks a game or something like that. No, ma'am. Oh my God, it was like fifty dollars for an hour. Now, keep in mind, this was like the galactic bowling with the uh, fancy neon lights and everything. And it was a Saturday. I suspect and it was a they Saturday. probably have kind of a sliding scale of mm-hmm. price, and we just made the mistake to. You know, go on a Saturday when there was like many children's birthday parties happening throughout the place and lots of groups. Yeah. So it was it was busy. Yeah. Um, I mean, so literally the the guy behind the counter rang us up, told us our uh, what lane we're in, and plopped some shoes on the counter. And then the screen comes up, <laughs> and it gives you the option to tip, like you said. And it even gives you like a suggested, you know, 15%, 20%, 20 you know, and, and, you know, on a 50, close to $50 tab, it was like even tipping the minimum, like 15% was about eight bucks. Yes. And then it puts you in this uncomfortable position because you're like, why would I tip when this guy just put some shoes on the counter? Like, yeah, it, it seemed like that's kind of the basic minimum that would be required to do that job. And the employer should pay them to do that job. Yes. <laughs> I'm sounding like a cheapskate. And, I'm, and I don't mean to. I just, it didn't occur to me that it would be customary to tip for bowling, much like other services. So this Grub Street article was kind of very appropriate because it talks about, you know, kind of the new era we're in where whether you're going for coffee, whether you're, you know, going to your local deli, maybe you're getting food delivered to you. There's... All kinds of situations that you're faced with where you're kind of expected to tip. Mm -hmm. And then that creates all these questions about like, when do you tip? How much do you tip? And all that. So I don't know. Do you have this up on your phone too? I didn't know if you wanted to like. I can pull it up right now. Okay. So let's start with restaurants. So this is kind of the most typical scenario and the one that people are most familiar with. It used to be acceptable and expected that you would tip anywhere from probably 15 to 20%. Now, the new rule and, and the you know what's more customary is like 20 to 25%. Mm-hmm. And this applies to anywhere, you know, if, even if you go to like a chain like Olive Garden or something. And then it says, you know, that the the higher the, your disposable income, the more that you should be obligated to tip. Um, anything under 20% is now considered rude. Yeah. And it also states that even if the service was shitty, you should still tip. Because a lot of places um, I mean, typically pool tips together now. Well, and, and in a lot of places, like, I mean, it's changing, but in a lot of places, servers make like $2 an hour. Right. And it but, does point out that like probably half of their wage is through tips. Yeah. But I have to say, I think I can count on like one hand times that I've never tipped throughout the years and it's just for like abysmally horrible yes i can think of maybe like once or twice where it was just like ridiculously like just kind of negligent if not like hostile service Mm -hmm. and i knew you know it was without question that we were never going back there again yes and we probably walked out without giving a tip yeah sorry not sorry um and then the next scenario would be like coffee shops cafes your neighborhood bodega 
something like that where maybe you just get like a drip coffee and they dispense it and hand it to you. This article says you can still typically tip like a dollar, which mm-hmm. I think is common. You know, there are situations now. We've got a coffee shop in our neighborhood where they make some pretty bespoke Absolutely. Craft yeah. coffee drinks. They might as well be making you a cocktail. Right, right. And in that situation, you would definitely want to tip appropriately, like probably 20%. And these are not cheap coffee drinks to begin with either. So you might be paying 8 to $10 for this craft coffee drink. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're tipping 20% on top of that easily. Now, if you're buying something like a bottle of water or you're just grabbing a muffin out of that plexiglass display case you don't have to tip but you're being kind of a cheapskate if you do no if you don't i disagree because okay. if i'm grabbing my own water out of a cooler just bringing it to the register you are me ringing too. me up to take my money that you did not give me any kind of service fair so you disagree with the i totally article. disagree with that now let's talk food delivery because this is the one where i was a little uh this was this caused some head scratching on my okay. part. Okay. So minimum that they said you should tip is five dollars mm-hmm. or twenty percent, whichever mm-hmm. is greater. So like, let's say you get one of the food delivery services. They they drop off the. Oh, see, I'm thinking grocery delivery. I wonder if this applies to grocery delivery too. Food delivery, I think twenty percent is pretty typical, and that's usually what we do at yeah. least. I'm thinking grocery delivery because I was like, man, if you got like a hundred dollars worth of groceries delivered. And you were expected to tip like 20% on there. That's like $20 on top of your grocery order. Yeah. But I don't know if that's what it's really referring to in this situation. I'm, I'm Now that I'm rereading this, I'm thinking it's mm. maybe like food delivery. I think it's like takeout delivery. Right, right, right. So that makes sense. And then uh, even when picking up takeout. Now, this is an interesting one because this is one that I'm always a little confused by and unsure of. It says you should at least tip 10%. Right. I agree. Yeah. Because they have to like put your food together for you. Sure. And- I mean, it's not like because you're ordering takeout that there's just no labor right? involved yeah. with preparing this as if you came in and sat down at the restaurant. It's still interrupting the flow of other work that they're doing. And you still have like servers and hosts that are dependent on those tips for their livelihood. Right. Ooh, let's talk bars. Okay. What do you think about tipping at a bar? Well, I think like, I mean, I can't drink beer anymore, but if I order like a seltzer or a cider, or if I was just going to order a beer, yeah, I do like a dollar. Glass of wine? Yeah, like a dollar per drink. But if it's a cocktail, I would probably do like 20%. Yeah. I mean, I usually personally just, if I don't have singles on me, I'll ask the bartender to make change. Mm-hmm. And it's I, to me, it's just much easier to round usually up. So you get a beer, buck, whatever. If you get a cocktail, two, three bucks, depending on how much how much it is. But it's just easier to, you know, I'm not going to throw like exact change up right. on the bar because then you're just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I subscribe to that. I, I think that's that's fair. So now what if this is one I hadn't even considered, but like maybe like a deli counter cheese shop a fast casual place like Panera comes to mind where maybe there's like a minimal amount of prep involved but there's still something beyond just handing you an item out of a display case maybe well, it's- no I mean like when you go like if you get a, a salad or a sandwich at Panera they're still having to like put that together right. so it's saying like in those situations where it's like a cheese shop a deli counter fast casual spot 10% 
Mm-hmm. That's what it's saying. And then, oh, let's talk uh, ride sharing like Uber and Lyft because obviously this is the era we're in. I generally tip. I I think most of the rides we take are pretty short in yeah. distance. So, you know, it might be a $10, $15 ride. So I'll generally tip a couple bucks on top of that. Mm-hmm. There have been a few times, though, where like if the person's just not very friendly and they're kind of doing what I would consider like the minimum, like they're just getting me from point A to point B. I tried to make some friendly conversation with them and for whatever reason, they're just not feeling it. And I had that happen the other day when I brought our car in to get repair, just some you know, oil change and whatnot. And I had to take a lift back after dropping the car off. And the person uh, that gave me a ride, you know, younger woman and I said you know how's your day going and she's just like very like to the point not very like in the mood to converse which is it's totally fine I don't expect that she was also driving like really aggressively though because like once once it became clear to me that she was not really in the mood to have a conversation I just kind of tuned it out and like looked at my phone and was like answering emails and whatnot but then I was like a few times where I had to kind of like brace myself as she was like going around you know, curves and stuff like that. And I was like, Whoa, this person's like really wants to get there and get hmm. me, get me dropped off. So I don't know. Maybe she thought I was a creep or something and just wanted to be done with the, with the ride. But in Could that be, situation, as a lady driver, she probably puts up with a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. I wasn't giving her bullshit though. No, I know. I I'm not saying you were, Ooh, but you, also you, hold on. Yeah. I have to say something. I think I prefer when like the Lyft drivers are not trying to make all kinds of small talk. It like stresses me out. Sure. Like I'm just, that's not the way I roll. I don't like making small talk. No, I, I hate I, it. If it comes natural, great. If it feels a little forced or you feel obligated to. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. What do you do for a hairstylist? I mean, my hairstylist, I don't give her shit. Well, you, except I, I mean, I grab your butt while you can, you're cutting my hair I mean, and stuff. Sometimes you, Give me a tip ah, or the whole thing. Hey, <laughs> it's going to be that kind of show. Yeah. Um, no, I always do like 20 or 25%. Okay. Fair. You know, that seems I mean, especially since I go to the same hairstylist every time and she does, you know, she does a great job. <laughs> you don't want to be that person. Like, I'm sure they can keep notes in their reservation Absolutely. software. And they're like, shitty tipper. Well, it's, it's actually kind of funny because I think I've gotten my hair cut twice within the last year. And uh, I just went a few months ago. I went during the summer. But it had been probably about eight or nine months since I got my um, hair cut. And my sty- I went back to the same stylist. And she actually remembered like parts of our conversation. And she was asking about our dog and that's, that's a good, everything. Good, right? Good, uh, good service worker. I know. And I hate when Don't people... Don't be a cheapskate. Well, yeah, and there's always an ar- argument like, uh, you can't rely on tips. Go get a real job. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, the, you know, people have careers in service. And That's, I think that just what we discussed, that exhaustive list of, of when tipping is appropriate kind of illuminates... How yeah. many people work jobs where they rely on tips for mm-hmm. their livelihood? So don't be a cheapskate. It's not their fault. Right. I mean, if you want to change, you know, how we compensate employees and stuff, that's a whole other issue. But don't take it out on the employees by not tipping them, you know, fucking cheapskate. Right. Oh, All look right. at you. You actually cuss. Ah, you never yeah, cuss. I know. That's my department. It's That's, that's the uh, kombucha vodka talking. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Let's talk about what we're working on currently. Okay. Uh, so actually, we are going to, we put a poll up. We gave a choice of four different books. They were Flavor Equation by Nick Sharma. Yep. That Sounds So Good by Carla Lolly Music. And then uh, I chose Vietnamese Any Day yes. by Andrea Nguyen. And then Vegetable Kingdom by Bryant Terry. These are all books we featured previously in our Instagram feed. And we decided, because we don't really have a lot of new books to choose from currently. Yeah, right now is not a great, it's not like a hectic a time, time for, for releasing books. Publishers, yeah. And so we've decided let's revisit ones that we enjoyed from the past. And we put it up to uh, our followers for the vote. And Flavor Equation, the big winner. I'm so excited. I love that book. I'm not complaining. Which leads us into what we're having for dinner tonight. We're having a grilled spiced chicken salad with amchur. And it's going to be delicious. Mm -hmm. Nice and simple. Oh, and also, we just started No Gluten, No Problem Pizza by Kelly and Peter Bronsky. Uh, we have made one pizza from it. Yes. So far we did, it was like a Mexican pizza with a New York style dough. And this is like, they have two versions of the dough. This is the quick version that doesn't really require any fermentation time. So you can pretty much make it and then just get right to the pizza making. This book we originally checked out from the library and then the publisher has since been generous enough to send us a copy. And I, I, I have to say like the... Pizza is one of the things that I really kind of miss now that we've gone gluten-free mm-hmm. like, and, and all of the gluten-free options that we've had in general are pretty underwhelming. I mean, yeah. there, there's a local pizza place that we get delivery from that does an okay one, mm-hmm. but the, the option of making it at home yes. is, is going to be great. And there's a bunch of different like different styles of dough and a bunch of different recipes for different toppings. So one down, and so far I'm really impressed. Absolutely. It was great. The dough had a really nice chew to it. It, it got nice and crispy too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't wait to do a deep dish, like a Chicago-style deep dish dough. I cannot wait because I miss... They got grandma pie in there too, Victoria. Uh, isn't Grandma Pie like the Detroit? Yeah, it's like okay. the sheet pan. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, this is going to be upcoming feature for us. Okay, well, before we talk about this book, <laughs> we uh, we asked you, the listener, what were your favorites from 2022, and we got some great responses. We got a lot of similar responses too. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's start there. Okay, so both at Finding Mel and at Cat Jardine said Molly Baz cooked this book. And that, if I'm not mistaken, came out kind of at the beginning mm, of 22. I believe so. And uh, at Miss Eden Cooks and our friend Yasmataz Chicago both chose Korean American by Eric Kim, which is a book that we featured uh, this year and enjoyed. That one almost made my top 10. Did it? Mm-hmm. I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think it's still residing on our bookshelf over there. So what else you got? Uh, let's see. Linda Hartlob said, I've been working my way through the original Barefoot Contessa cookbook. Nice. Yeah. I'm an, sure it's... An oldie but a goodie. Yeah. And then uh, at Lauren Becca 623 said, Mi Cucina by Rick Martinez, formerly of uh, Bon Appetit fame. We, yes. And uh, we have that sitting, taunting us from our bookshelf. We, we, we need to dive into it. I don't think it's going to be... Uh, Easy weeknight meals. <laughs> no, <laughs> I more think involved. 
I think we're going to sure be delicious. We're going to handle it like we're handling the pizza book because it's it would just be a lot for you don't want to eat pizza to, every day just to rip through with you? rip through in one week. Uh uh-uh. uh, too much. Maybe a dish per week and kind of like how I do the cookie books, too. Uh, at Maxwell Gregory 2018 said, I've never heard of this book either. Uh, it's called Gâteau. The surprising Gâteau. It's Gâteau. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Surprising <laughs> Simplicity of French Cakes by Alexandra Crampanzo. I'm going to have to investigate that one. Maybe check it out from the library or something. Yeah. Just to look through. Yeah. It's probably full of gluten. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet my left leg on it. Yes. Well, without further ado, should we dive into this book? Yep. Um, okay. So right off the bat, this book was definitely a struggle. When we first got this book, I think we were probably a little skeptical of it. I mean, just the the title alone, fake meat. When we do enjoy like plant-based foods and, and vegan cuisine in particular, I think the last thing that we are looking for is for the recipes to replicate like a meat dish or impersonate a meat dish because they're always usually pretty underwhelming. And, and that include, I mean, and Isa actually addresses this like in her introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, she says sometimes she wants to do like kind of approximate the taste, like, mm-hmm. you know, like burnt ends taco. Like mm-hmm. she went for the taste there. Or sometimes she just wants to do like a representation to kind of evoke like a memory or something like like the bone marrow dish. Uh-huh. So it's kind of both of those are both her goals in this book. But for us, like we don't I just don't like either of those. I think goals. it is a very big challenge to not only replicate the look of a meat dish, but also the taste mm-hmm. if that's your goal. And I think in some instances, perhaps this book maybe was able to successfully, like appearance-wise, recreate some of these dishes. I don't think in any instance that I was reminded of the the meat counterpart that it was trying to replicate. Well, and also for us, here's the thing. A lot of the fake meats, like when you're making them, is, is it essential wheat protein? Essential Vital wheat gluten. Vital wheat gluten. So that pretty much kind of takes a lot of this out of the running for me. So our choices from this book were pretty limited. Right. And you might ask yourself, why choose this book? Perhaps it was a lack of judgment on our part. Perhaps it was uh, a challenge that we were willing to embrace. Perhaps it was sent to us. And <laughs> because I, I have to say, honestly, I, I was just like, nah, let's just make one thing from this book and be done with it. Yeah, and full disclosure, this is from Abrams Books, uh, cookbook publisher. And as part of their Abrams Dinner Party influencer group, we are obligated to provide like an honest review of the book and kind of share it in like, uh, even if it's just like a social media story or a post or something. So we do have some obligation Yeah, you don't necessarily like have to, you know, how we choose to work through a book for 
five dishes. Like you can make one thing or whatever. Right. um, And nor do they require any kind of like, you know, there's no pressure to give like a positive review or or to, you know, unfairly inflate, you know, the 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 book at all. But for me personally, I saw it as kind of a challenge and I wanted to keep an open mind. And so I thought like, well, maybe we should make some things from this book, see where it leads. And I will say we had intentions of doing some of the more involved recipes, such as, you know, there was like a a chicken, uh, like a turkey. There was like a chopped liver. And I think once we got like a recipe or two in and just realized that this book was just not our jam, well, I kind of lost any interest in doing No, here's the, the thing is, is like I was looking through the book and I saw that a lot of the fake meats and stuff have that wheat protein or the gluten. What is it called? The vital vital wheat gluten, vital wheat gluten. So I was like, okay, so there's a huge amount of things that we cannot do in here. So I really don't want to do this book. Well, and that was one of my critiques of the recipes that we'll get to when we discuss the rankings, but three of the five dishes use TVP or canned ingredients, which, you know, the TVP is heavily processed. The canned ingredients are not exactly the most flavorful or I guess there's probably no health disadvantage to it. But so there's like shortcuts taken with some of that stuff, but yet you still have to make all these different components from scratch. So it's just, it's a very frustrating book to work from, at least from my perspective. Agree. From my experience. Agree. And then I think we got so far into it that we were just kind of, uh, we, we felt this obligation, like we got to finish this. We're just going to power through it out of, you know, spite, Well, but we're going to be like angry about it the whole time. <laughs> this book made me angry. I wanted to, I really like, this was a bothersome book. after we did like two recipes, I was like, can we just drop this book? And you were like, no, we, we're going to do it all. I'm stubborn. So I was like, okay, whatever. We'll do it. So I guess we don't need to dwell too much on it because we're going to talk about the dishes we made and then do the rankings and people can form their own opinion. You want to just give a little bullet point? Yes, but I do I do want to say if you are not gluten-free and you are vegan and, and you, you like spending a lot of time preparing stuff from scratch. You're in, and you're like <laughs> super into the fake meat thing. I'm sure this book is awesome for you. For us it was not. Yes. Just just to be fair, I'm I'm putting that out there because I think there You're is being a f- far more generous than I would. I, I would argue that if you if you are into like the fake meats and making and eating those kind of things, I think there are people that would do it better. And that's saying something because like we're this is not a knock on the author because you know, we've we've featured a couple of her other books. We have a copy of I Can Cook Vegan. Uh, from a few years ago on our shelf that we still refer to from time to time. So I think vegan food, when done well, can stand on its own. This was like a totally different approach that is just not really like our vibe at all. I mean, it's a very specific genre of veganism, like fake meat, you know. And I just question like who this book is for because... Well, I I don't question who it's for because they're... Like I said, there are vegans who are like super into that. And I mean, like even like on my craving a hamburger, even 
even on my Twitter, <laughs> even on my Twitter feed, like I saw people posting like that they were very excited for this book. Well, that'll and, change once well, they start working from it. That's true. It's it's a lot. Okay, go on. I'm I, I no, feel my, like my I, original point was like in the hands of someone like an Odalengi or maybe like an Abra Barons or maybe like a J. Kenji Lopez. I, I I could see them doing something like this. Or even Alton Brown for crying out loud. Like he's got that science background and knowledge where I think he could, through research and development, like really make some amazing fake meat things. Nah, I I mean I feel like there's kind of I I I feel like there are standard ways to make fake meat because there is a science behind it. Because keep in mind, we did not make any of like we didn't make the fake chicken or the fake turkey or like the fake beef so i'm sure that there is a science to it well there's different ways to do stuff i just i don't think she's the best person to try and tackle this thing i realize that she's got a a history and she's kind of like a rock star in the in the vegan world i'm sorry i just don't think this was like in her wheelhouse at least from our experience cooking from this book i think there's other people that could have embraced this and done a better job I think this was. I think this book was like cobbled together. No, there, I totally disagree with well, you. But I, I think just in, in this is something we'll discuss in the rankings. There were errors with the recipes. There were. There were some omissions. I don't think these recipes were tested very well, and I and I think this was just something that started with a, an idea, maybe a great idea, and was just not executed very well. And I, I think in, okay. in the hands of Fair someone enough. else. Fair enough. That's yeah. that's your opinion. You're doing a lot of conjecture. I don't think it's conjecture at all. We mm-hmm. did not. We did not have successful. These recipes were not successful to us, and I don't think our skill level prevented us from executing these recipes properly. I think they were poor recipes. Okay. So you you sound like you're being dismissive, and no, I'm no, and no, I'm no, just, no. And I'm just it's, saying it's just, like we can have the same circular argument, but I will give you I will definitely agree. They shouldn't be that hard to execute. That's I what agree. I'm saying. I agree with you. Okay, let's move on. I'm <laughs> We're I getting feel, all hot and bothered over here. I know. I feel bad. Up. I feel bad. Like I feel like I kind of even though I hate. Well, I wasn't a fan of this book. Right. But I still feel... You're trying to be diplomatic about it. I'm beyond being diplomatic about it. I still feel... Well, because our thing is always like we're not going to like... I don't think... Be mean about a book. I'm not being mean. I don't think a cookbook should be this much of a struggle. Okay. We're we're very accomplished cooks. We, We do this for a living. We cook... We teach classes. You have a fucking culinary degree. We should be able to execute the recipes in this book. And they were a real struggle to execute. Okay. They did not turn out the way they sure. were supposed to. Okay. Don't be dismissive. No, I'm not. I'm not being, okay. I'm not being dismissive. I just, I, I, get, I get your we point. We should probably move on because this will be like a two hour episode of us arguing. This about is the us. This is the way we bicker. <laughs> yes. and, and I hope, I hope you cut this off because we just keep going back and forth. Um, okay. Let's get on to it shall we talk about well why don't you give a bullet point yes right? i mean I, it, if if the listeners take anything away from this i think they i hope that they can hear our frustration with this book yeah because we kind of reluctantly worked through it 
and hoped for the best. It's and been it's been a couple years since we've had. There has been one book that we have done. I can that, name you two that we've. If, <gasps> yes, if you go you're back right. In our podcast history, the Jonathan Waxman book, mm-hmm. and then there was one called Tahini and Turmeric that we really disliked. Mm-hmm. And those are probably the two. Like, if you want to hear us kind of rant in a similar fashion about a cookbook, uh, you know, overall. When we choose a book, we have a pretty good idea of what we're getting into. We'll try and be diplomatic about it and be like, ah, not for us. But, but I mean, this book was really frustrating to me. Yeah. So anyway, without further ado, bullet okay. point list. Bullet point list. Uh, <laughs> I love you. I love you You're too. the best. You're the best. Okay. So uh, we started with classic lentil beet burgers. Then we moved on to scallop drunken noodles. Then we did artichoke fish witches. Then there was a five spice burnt end taco and a pineapple ceviche. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about this classic lentil beet burger. Can I just give a rundown of how like it was made? Okay. (laughs) I'm kind of tired of talking about these dishes. So first of all, Beets get shredded in your food processor, and then you add brown rice and lentils. The recipe called for canned lentils. I've never seen them. Maybe because we don't look for them, just because lentils are so easy to cook up, and we have a ton of them in our pantry. Yeah. So why would you go spend the money to... And I would assume that most vegans would have lentils in their pantry. Right, and that's the thing I'm talking about. Is like this is that's why that's what makes this book frustrating to work from is like there are shortcuts taken in the recipes in cases like that and she also had one she had one for the rice too it was used frozen rice yes the cauliflower rice no just regular rice oh okay because there i think there was one that would call for like frozen cauliflower no because she was like take it out you know the night before yeah put it in the fridge Uh, uh, most people have rice in their pantry so if, to me, that seems kind of waste, wasteful to spend money just to take a shortcut. Well, and then so many of the recipes did call for making one of these proteins from scratch, whether it was like the fake chicken or the fake turkey or something. So you're investing all of this time in making those items from scratch, but then we'll just open a can of lentils, which we've never seen in a store before. And maybe we're just shopping at the wrong places or something, but I've never seen canned lentils anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just don't pay attention. Uh, who knows? Like it could, yeah. they could be there, and it's just not something that we ever look for, so we don't notice it. So now veggie burgers. Okay, we've tried oh, several. Go, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so then you add brown rice and lentils. You whiz that up a little bit. Then you put that in a bowl. And you add some spices, walnuts, breadcrumbs. We, of course, use gluten-free breadcrumbs, onion, and miso. And here's the thing. Also, if you're gluten-free, everything calls for, like, red miso, which we just stick to, like, white miso because it's a safe bet for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you mix all this up in a bowl. You make your patties. And then it calls to cook it on the stove in a skillet. I mean... Ours had the consistency more of like a sloppy joe than a hamburger. We tried to cook it in a skillet. Medium high heat. Medium as the high recipe heat. Instructs. The ones by the time we were ready to turn it, it was burnt. Right. So we ended up t- 
yet we, still uncooked inside. Yes. We ended up tossing them. Yes. Which I uh, hate. I, I hate know. having to throw away food because of a flawed recipe. So then we just decided to do them on a sheet tray and bake them in the oven. Right. Now, that's, but that's my point I was making earlier and why I was getting so worked up. Is, <laughs> I love this. We're like, like we're who, just, we just keep debating, like debating. I love who it. Has no, and I agree with that you. intuition. And I mean, and, and it's just thanks to you for, you know, for your knowledge and our experience that we were like, okay, pivot. We're going to do this differently so that this turns out and not only will we get like a photo for social media, but we can actually eat these and we don't have to reach for our emergency frozen pizza. Yeah. Well, which- and also like when I turned those burnt ass burgers, like they just kind of like went. It just fell apart. Yeah. The burger you can eat with a straw. Yeah. Get get yourself a boba <laughs> straw and you're good. You're golden. Yeah. So. And then it, it has the addition of beets to give it that like red appearance like a burger. And that's where I, I have issues with is because like if you're vegan, how many vegans are actually craving like a bloody a, looking like a patty that looks like it's bloody beef? I, I, would, I get it. I would imagine and I and I will go out on a limb and say that, you know, a good there. Sure. There are some people that are vegan just for like health reasons or environmental reasons that's fine. Maybe they crave burgers, but they're just like, I can't do it. I'm, I care too much about the planet. Great. Good for you. But if, if you're doing it for like ethical reasons for which a lot of, you know, vegan friends that we have do it for, you're not going to be like, man, I could really go for like this bloody beef burger. <laughs> okay. Counterpoint. Uh-huh. I have to say if you're using like a plant based thing, like beyond or whatever, which is, Equally as bad for the environment as like actual farming meat. But like that stuff, you know, depending on the, like you can get like a pink burger, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I agree. Like that is weird to me. Yeah. Like, So needless to say, these, they didn't turn out in originally. We had to pivot. We got something that all I can generously say is that it was edible. But beyond that, like, would I make these again? Hell no. And and the thing is, like, this, you know, there are a lot of cookbooks that will have a veggie burger recipe, even if it's not like a vegetarian or vegan cookbook. We've made other versions of veggie burgers that are better. And that's that's my point with this book, too, is like, if you're going to have this strictly vegan fake meat cookbook, this better be like the best goddamn beef burger ever. And it wasn't. Oh, and also another thing, like one of the um, garnish topping suggestions is a fake Swiss cheese. So there's another thing that you have to make. Right. We were just like, fuck it. And we put regular cheese on there. (laughs) Which is the only thing that held it together. Yes. Because otherwise the thing would have been just a big pile of loose meat. (laughs) When I worked at Dairy Queen, we served loose meat sandwiches, that's, which that's the origins of sloppy so joes. So gross me out. Okay, but that's so. what I'm saying. You have to be pretty committed to some of these recipes because there's a lot of components and a lot of moving parts. And it, at the end of the day, it's just not even a very good recipe. Well, and also, I feel like there have been maybe only a couple of veggie burger recipes that actually I feel like have worked out and will stay 
a tight patty or something like I just so I mean keep trying I guess I don't know it it tasted okay it was edible we didn't have to reach for the frozen pizza yeah that's the best I can say um should we talk scallop drunken noodles yes so this is kind of like a take on like um pork and seafood drunken noodles I use wide rice noodles or you can use like uh linguine or whatever um, the sauce is miso based. It, ha- it has miso broth, tamari. For this one, it calls for a bay broth, which is a whole nother thing that you have to make. Or, I mean, it says you can substitute veggie broth. Mm-hmm. But the bay broth, it has like veg, uh, it's like got your typical veggie stock ingredients. And then it's got dill and nori and umeboshi paste, mm-hmm. which is pickled plum a lot of specialty ingredients mm-hmm. in this book and they are covered at the beginning for yes. like you know some of the things that you might need but that's the other thing too is you know unless you're a pretty committed vegan and are making some of this stuff already prepare to invest a small amount of money or maybe not so small amount of money mm-hmm. into procuring some of this and depending on where you live you might not be able to find all of these right which means you got to go online and order them right um, okay, so let's see. The scallop part is um, the stems of trumpet mushrooms. That you score with, the, a, with a paring knife. Okay, the whole scoring thing w- just seemed like extra bullshit because I've never scored a... In all my years of cooking in restaurants, I've never scored a scallop on the top. You well, just I think it's it. supposed to replicate grill marks. Oh, and well. so like you you score it with a paring knife, you you fry it up in a skillet, and once it browns, it's going to look like. So I understand that seems so extra to me. No, I know. I well, hey, <laughs> par for the course with this book. Uh, but, let's see. Yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, and it also has TV TVP that you cook up. Okay, so let's back up. Okay, TVP textured vegetable protein i remember working with this a lot like a few decades ago when we were vegetarian when i we used to make chili with it yes. and shit like it that was, it yeah. was pretty common in vegetarian yeah. cooking it adds a little heft to a dish a little substance it was like it's got a nice chew yeah you had a co-op in your neighborhood you could probably get it in bulk yeah for some reason i think it's become it's kind of fallen out of favor and it's becoming like a little harder to find we had to go to like three different grocery stores we finally got some bob's it. red mill right but like we we chose places that we thought, oh, of course they'll have it. And they didn't. And so that was kind of frustrating in its own right. But now, you know, so it's a, it's like a meat substitute. It, it has a similar texture to ground meat. In the method, it walks you through how to prepare it, how to cook it in step two. And then it instructs you to set it aside. And then, and nothing, then that's it. Yeah. So you have to guess what you do with it and when, when you, you add it to it the dish. Yeah, because the method is like you cook the you cook the new well you cook your scallops, cook your noodles and set them aside. You cook asparagus and you set it aside, mm-hmm. and then you add garlic, bell pepper, onion, a whole onion, which is a lot. One and large it, red onion in the recipe. It was a yeah. I think we use like half, if that. Yeah, probably a quarter, and then a quarter cup of sliced garlic. 
which is a fuck ton. I mean, I'm fine. <laughs> to be honest, I'm fine with the garlic. Usually when a recipe says uh, add a clove of garlic, we're like, oh, how cute. And then Maybe we add, we'll like, do five like five cloves. or six. Yeah. But no, um, I mean, the ratio seemed off. And this, is, this, this recipe in particular was one of the more frustrating ones just because of those errors. And, you know, I know that there was a recipe tester thanked in the acknowledgments. Which made me scratch my head. And I was like, really? Someone tested these? Because it didn't seem like it. And, and even like the proofreading, like, you know, you didn't catch that there's no mention of what to do with the TVP. So right? those are the kind of things yes. I'm talking about when we were getting into our uh, heated discussion. And, and I'm just like, you know, it's, it's such a frustrating book. So anyway, you remarked that this had kind of a flavor of like a bouillon cube. Yes, totally. And that's what it reminded you of. Yeah. Which is not good or bad, just... Just an observation. And taste-wise, it was okay. It made a lot of freaking dishes. It did. And that's that was the frustrating thing, too, is like a lot of prep. It instructs you to cook these veggies and stuff in coconut oil, which is definitely, it's not a neutral oil. Well, here's the thing. It, it called for... Um, refined coconut oil? Refined coconut oil, which takes out some, like, you won't get the coconut flavor. We have two jars of coconut oil. Coconut oil sitting up in our cupboard there's no way we are going to go out and buy another thing of coconut oil right so we use the regular coconut oil there was an overpowering flavor of coconut it, it like, definitely kind of perfumes the dish with yeah. that flavor not in a bad way necessarily depending on what your tastes are but just something to be aware of are we done with this dish yes <laughs> can we talk artichoke fish witches <laughs> fish fish witches so this is kind of like a fish sandwich mm-hmm. kind of situation if we followed the recipe it instructs you to make this uh, fish mixture which is kind of like uh, artichoke is kind of like the main component mm-hmm. of it like chopped up artichokes it calls uh, for artichoke. it calls for whole artichokes that you're supposed to cut in half and fan out when you mix it up, it all falls apart together, or it falls. Yeah, because there's a lot it falls that goes apart. into the mixture. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you cut up your artichokes, and you're supposed to like fan them out, and then you make this little broth thing with tofu in a blender. I'd make fun of tofu, but it would just be a tasteless joke. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a little comic relief. There you for this go. Episode. That's not even the joke. Anyway, keep going. So then, like, the broth gets added to the artichokes along with some kelp powder, dill, old bay, and some breadcrumbs. I prefer new bay myself. New bay, I know, right? I'm more modern like that. Yep. This fell a, apart. They this fell was apart. a similar texture and consistency as those veggie burgers, and it was a little loose. There was no way you could drop this in a pan of oil and fry it without it just completely disintegrating so what we did was our oven has like an air fryer basket so when you throw it on convection it air fries so that's what we did with it we did not fry it It, i mean they turned out nicely but it in no way reminded me of a fish sandwich and also there was a tartar sauce that you had to make called jimmy carter tartar yes and the basis of the tartar sauce was like a vegan mayo. Okay, I have to say we've made the vegan mayo before. Mm-hmm. From the I Can Cook Vegan mm-hmm. book. It was delicious. Yes. I actually prefer it over regular mayo. Mm-hmm. See, that's like another step. Nothing's easy with this book. No. 
it tasted okay. Like, and we also use like gluten free buns, mm-hmm. but it just under delivered. We, we, but it, again, we had to use our intuition and experience to know that this is not going to work we in had the oil. That yeah. Foresight to be like, hey, this is not going to. You throw it in that pan of hot oil, and it's going to just. We're going to be ordering takeout. Fall apart. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's that one. The next one is the five spice burnt and tempeh tacos. You know what no one has ever said in the history of people? I want a tempeh taco. <laughs> I'm craving tempeh. I mean, I like tempeh just fine. It's it's fine. It's kind of like TVP to me. It's just like a filler. I have to say this one I actually really actually really liked yeah of all the dishes we made this was the most successful uh the tempeh gets marinated with tamari sriracha sesame oil brown sugar smoked paprika and five spice powder and you cook the mushrooms and then you add the tempeh mm-hmm. it was good and you, you ate the filling the following day i just, did just like right out of the container well and it, ha- filling. it also has a slaw we kind of improvise on the slaw because we had some kimchi kicking around. Yeah. So we added that in with the cabbage. It was I ha- good. I have to say it little, elevated little it heat a little to bit. It. Like little color to it for yeah. the photo. Yeah, we had like a vegan kimchi and so we were just like, Yes, let's do this. Um No, this was by far I think we're in agreement that this was like the most successful mm-hmm. of all the recipes. So for what that's worth, like, you know, to be fair, like would I make this again? Probably not, but I was happy that it turned out after a few frustrating experiences with the with the recipes. And who's going to say no to a taco? Right. I mean, I mean we've, we've enjoyed mushroom tacos many times. Now, did it remind me of barbecued burnt ends? Fuck no. No. I mean, but it did have a like smoky flavor. Yeah. But like, I'm you know, if I want burnt ends, I'm going to go get burnt yeah, ends. Yeah, I just. I just feel like with all of these dishes, like if, if your goal is to have these things that look and taste like their meat counterpart, you're just going to be so disappointed. And it just, it just feels like a consolation prize. Well, and the thing is, like we've done multiple vegan books yeah, where it's like fully satisfying and you're just like, mm-hmm. yes, this is great. Well, and, and, I th- and I think that's how we prefer to eat vegan when we do is like we're going to celebrate... The vegetables. The vegetables, the produce mm-hmm. on their own and really like showcase them rather. Than, and, then, and that's the thing too is like this book is just kind of like the antithesis of everything that I love about, you know, vegan cooking and eating and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, mm. I just think if, if you're, you know, if you're maybe you're doing this to like try and win someone over and be like, hey, you know, see vegan cooking and eating isn't isn't all that bad. Like here's have some. uh vegan burnt end tacos <laughs> if someone's like a real hardcore carnivore they're just gonna eat these and be like okay yeah so anyway okay last one from best to worst pineapple ceviche i'm gonna let you okay, take so- this one i did not have any hand in this nope. i had a forkful and i was like this is repugnant okay so <laughs> let me set the stage for you oh victoria god Number one, there's a lot of prep involved for something that you would, you know, like if you're throwing together like a ceviche or a salsa or something like that, you'd think like you just throw a few ingredients together, 
boom, boom, done. This is what you bring over to like a summer barbecue or something. Oh no, this this required a lot of prep. I was in there chopping vegetables for quite some time. Let me set the stage for you though. Here's the ingredient list. Some some garlic, some some chopped oyster mushrooms, chickpeas. The mushrooms were raw, were supposed to be raw, by the way. Yep. Which is so gross. Chickpeas. Who invited them? I know. Issa invited them. Oh, pineapple. I get that. I mean, that's like a, this. You know, ceviche has like a tropical. It's a tropical dish. Let me read that again. Garlic, mushrooms, chickpeas, pineapple. Right. I know it doesn't go Some well with strange us. bedfellows. <laughs> Cherry tomatoes, jalapeno, red onion, mm-hmm. cilantro, with the option of uh, garnishing with guacamole. How's that grab you? Mm-hmm. This is like the kind of thing that you would dare your friends to eat as a child, like those things where you'd throw a bunch of shit in a blender and like blend it up. <laughs> we and then, like, used to do to that it. too. Like, it's so know, gross. Swiss cheese, anchovies. A little bit of leftover hamburger. Jarred Alfredo sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, this, this recipe is mind boggling. Like, I understand that she was trying to take these ingredients that have a certain, like, maybe texture or flavor in an effort to replicate some of these flavors of a traditional ceviche. But it's just like, what the fuck? I was so disgusted. So I, I made and, and bear in mind this makes a large portion. It makes too. So it made a huge bowl of it. It was a it was a large mixing bowl. I had I I kind of like reluctantly choked some down with like some some uh, tortilla chips and just ate it like you know chips and salsa kind of style. Taking one for the team for oh. lunch after we photographed it, and then I was like, I don't know, that wasn't very good. And you you know you took the bite and you were you were out, you pieced out, and then I I put the leftovers in the fridge and I was like, oh, maybe later on if I'm feeling a little snacky, I'll, I'll revisit this and, and just, you know, I, I hate, I hate stuff going to waste. I hate throwing out food. I know we're um, leftover. We're leftover and I mean, pantry rustle up Kings yeah. and Queens. If like, you follow my Instagram, if you follow our Instagram, you'll know that I make some of the most bullshit things for lunch. And it's usually just making use of whatever we have kicking around in the fridge and unintentionally, it's along with, with rice. It probably or either... looks like the ceviche ingredient <sighs> list, where I'll just throw anything in there to to make a salad or a bowl or something. Ooh. This was just unsuccessful. Um, and it was it was not good. And and then the longer it sits, because you you uh, you know as you do with ceviche, it marinates in this citrus juice. In and this it, case, it was lime and pineapple juice. Yeah. So the longer it sits there the more it's going to kind of break down and just turn into like this big, you know, I guess if you have no teeth, this would be a great dish. To I, enjoy. See, I didn't, I didn't try it the second. Did you try it the second day? No, no. I mean, I, I, I wasn't feeling it later on that night. And then the second day came around and I was like, Oh, this is just not. So you have good. no idea how much it's denatured. No. Okay. No, I just, I did. I, I have my limits. And so I just, I, I couldn't do it. Needless to say, that was the least successful of the bunch. And I think when I saw it and originally chose it, I mean, I probably thought it was it was using more common ingredients. So I knew that, you know, at least a we wouldn't have to go hunt for these special ingredients. And I and, you know, on paper, it looked like, oh, just chop a few things up, mix them up in a bowl. Done. I was in there for probably like 
half hour or 45 minutes like prepping all these ingredients and you're very quick at prep oh my too. god it was it was it was a slog it's been a long time since i've been repulsed it was pretty bad wasn't it it was so gross yeah <laughs> it was so gross we shall never speak of this no, we will not it's like it never happened okay there we go let's move on to the rankings i, I think we've beaten this book <laughs> oh my god <laughs> And I feel bad because we're always like, oh, we're never going to be mean about a book and we're being, but I have to say I was fairly positive about it in some points. Are, see, I will say, I don't think we're being mean. This was just not a successful book. And this is our personal, like real life experience working from this book. Okay. I would, think, I agree. I would think others are going to have a similar experience okay. and I'll, and I'll stand by that. And you know, if the author wants to contact us, she's never done it before. <laughs> the other two times. I've yes. I will be happy okay. to have this conversation with her and have this dialogue, but it, it just, it's not, it was a not a successful book. All right, rankings. Let's start with food photography and styling. What did you have, Victoria? Okay, so I gave it a four. Okay, so to me, it seemed like there was like no clear aesthetic or color palette, which is fine, like cool. There was a variety of surfaces used, like wood, marble, concrete, linen. Uh, the shots were a variety of overheads, some 45 degree. And the food was styled like in a very uh, homey and unfussy way. And I'm actually kind of surprised at how delicious they made it look considering like all the fake meat is like very beige. Clearly the, the food was shot in a studio. There was like no natural light or shadow play or whatever. I do have to say there were very cute flowered napkins that made multiple appearances. Yeah, it felt kind. I mean, it was it felt very standard, but it was like nice photography and it did make the food. It made the food look way more appealing than it actually is. Right. So job well done, I guess. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? I gave it a three. OK, there were there was a main photographer in the book, Justin Limoges. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing the name. Then there were two additional photographers that were credited at the beginning with some uh, additional photos. Um, there's some colorful illustrations throughout. Mm -hmm. I don't really have too many issues with this, although the photos were heavily styled, as you mentioned, and I doubt most readers would invest the time and effort to recreate the photos as they appear. Um, they do look very appealing, I think, the reality is most people would have... Uh, they would slop some shit on a plate. Right. They and, would have different results. Yeah. There's very purposeful stray splashes, crumbs, drops mm -hmm. on the plate. Almost too styled, I would say. Like, it seemed very deliberate. As you mentioned, I think they appear to be styled in a studio with artificial light. There wasn't any use of, like, natural light that I could see. Lots of stuff was plated on boards. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. Like, lots of cutting boards mm -hmm. and, like, serving boards and stuff mm -hmm. which I just not bad or good but just an observation occasionally the photo would not match the recipe though like I found You're several right. instances where it would say garnish with cilantro and then there'd be no cilantro in the photo so I think there was some disconnect between the photos and the recipe at least as far as like the finished dish went so okay. three uh, design and layout would you give it I gave it a three okay. as well there's this kind of handwritten font that 
makes up the recipe titles and and some of the other text throughout the book. There's chapters divided into uh, sandwiches or like handheld things. So that's where like the fish sandwich and the veggie burger reside. Then there's things like salads and then there's like a whole uh, chapter devoted to chicken and then like strangely beef stews. There was like a chapter on beef stews, which I thought was weird. And then pigs are not food. And then there was like one with like pasta and noodles. There was another one with uh, centerpieces and showstoppers. I don't know. It seemed to me like it was a strange way to divide up a book that was focused on fake meat rather than just, you know, if you're going to have, I think a better approach and look at me trying to rewrite her cookbook would have been like, you know, if you're going to do like chicken and then you're going to, you know, you're going to have the base of it be this, this fake chicken that you have to make up. And then there was like the, the turkey. And then there was like, you know, if you're going to incorporate like TVP or like ground meat, that might have been a better approach to just like divide the chapters up into like the particular like protein that you're making Mm -hmm. and then just have like a variety of recipes that use that particular protein because the reality is like you're probably going to make you know say the fake turkey loaf or something and then you're going to use it for more than just one recipe because it yields more than what you need for one particular recipe i totally get that why not be like hey since you went through the time and effort to make this here's these things you can make with it and that wasn't very concise throughout the book obviously we've talked already about like how i don't feel that these recipes were tested or proofread for example but that's like stick with me victoria uh, okay so (laughs) (laughs) most of the recipes recipes have (laughs) serving sizes I ran mm-hmm. across this truffled lobster dish on 197. It's like a lobster macaroni and cheese. I saw, yes. No mention of what the yield is. It just omits it. It doesn't say like how many it serves. Huh. Yeah. Whereas all the other recipes that I noticed do. So just like little, I mean, it's a little thing that probably goes unnoticed. But when we're looking at this with a critical lens, those are the kind of things where I just feel like this cookbook was really rushed. And it just yeah. was, there was no time spent testing the recipes proofreading there's a pantry section at the beginning which is probably necessary because there's a lot of specialty ingredients that most people are going to have to assemble Mm -hmm. to make some of these dishes decent font size the personality of the author for better of or worse kind of comes through there there was one recipe where it was it was for the fake steak dish where you make this uh yeah, we didn't do it, but it's like a fake steak. And she said, if you're from Brooklyn, and even if you're not, you probably claim that you're from Brooklyn. It had this kind of snarky tone to it, okay. which, like I said, for better or for worse, that's her personality. You're either going to love it or hate it, but it definitely comes through in the overall narrative of the book. Okay. There's a, throughout the book, for a lot of the recipes, there's what's called like a hot take. Yep. And it's just like different suggestions on maybe what else you could do with an ingredient, how to prepare something, that kind of thing. Um, Pretty common in a lot of cookbooks these days. But uh, yeah, three. Okay. Uh, Let's see. You actually brought up some things that I did not even think about. I gave it a 2.5. Okay. Okay. The font size is good. For the most part, there are serving sizes. There are no time indicators, right. <laughs> which I feel like should be very important for this book because 
if you're going to have to go make a mayo and then make some cheese because many of the recipes will have another component or two or three that has an entirely different recipe. Like I hate when recipes are like, uh, you need to make this sauce, turn to page 140. Well, and then you turn to that page and it says, refer to this page. There was, and there was a recipe like yes. that. I don't know the exact one, but I recall when we were working through this, that was what happened with one of them. That drives me insane. Well, and it it's a real challenge to manage your time then. And I feel bad for anyone who may have selected one of these recipes thinking that they were going to crank it out on a weeknight and they're eating dinner at 10 o'clock. Right. So basically, I agree with everything you said, but just knowing how involved these recipes were and the fact that there were no time indications just really, really bothered me. Yep. And I know that's a thing for you. It is such a thing, thing. for me. I, yep. Like, oh, it drives me insane. You ain't wrong, lady. Um, yeah, but I like in my notes, I mentioned the hot takes, which is like tips and tricks like the use frozen rice or use canned. I mean, some of them like feel like they're more wasteful than I agree. Yeah, I gave it a 2.5 uh, degree of difficulty. Or do you have something more to no. say? Okay. Degree of difficulty. Would you give it? I gave it a 3.5. Okay. Unless you like really really love making fake meat and if you're okay with like time consuming recipes because I feel like there was not one I mean even out of the things we made I feel like if you follow the recipe to the letter like I don't think other than, successful. other than the tacos I don't think it's like something that you can just whip up right unless I unless like I had a hardcore vegan friend who is all about like I'm making seitan. I'm making like turkey. those people probably have a uh, they raise bees on their rooftop. In Absolutely, their Brooklyn apartment. Like make artisanal. Honey. <laughs> we're being so snarky, but yeah, no, I've like to me this book is not worth the effort. And like even like even if you're cooking vegan, like I don't think you need to make all the fake meat and stuff. Like mm -hmm. it's just not. I think this book made being a vegan way more difficult than it there needs to be. There was a recipe be. in there for like carrot salmon. I don't care what you do to those carrots. They're not going to taste like fish. No. Well, and so maybe and it has the appearance. There was also another recipe that had the... Um, You're talking about the bagel egg sandwich? No, no, no. That too. That, I that looked one at, made you really angry. Because uh, you had that marked and I was like, fuck no, we are not doing that because <laughs> we are not making egg yolks and egg whites. And it, it was just full on bullshit. Yep. But there was a recipe that had like uh, the smoked salmon cream cheese. Right. Using that, yeah. Yes. Using that base you know carrot recipe no right anything else on degree of difficulty no go ahead i gave it a four wow. i would, I would wow. not consider Th i think this is our first four ever i would for not degree consider of any of these dishes that we made quote unquote easy i think you'd not only need to possess a certain degree of uh, skill but also a heightened ambition to execute many of these recipes with all the various components required of the individual dishes, 
additionally, some of the required ingredients are going to be a challenge to source locally, like we discussed before. So you're going to have to hop online and order some of this stuff. And it's just not very practical or economical to do mm -hmm. that. And plus, we discovered errors with the recipes. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's going to create its own challenges. You're working through it. So you could be very skilled and then you're in the middle of a recipe not knowing what to do with this TVP that you just cooked up. Yeah. And that's just, to me, that's just like a real lack of attention to detail when you're putting together a book. And this should not happen on a major publisher with other people involved that also overlooked those errors. God damn it, I'm all worked up again. That's okay. All right, Taste, what did you give it? <laughs> I gave it a two. Okay. Although we ate four of the five dishes, I wouldn't make any of them again. Additionally, I think we've had better versions of a lot of these elsewhere. Also, items such as TVP are typically highly processed and along with uh, something like vital wheat gluten is a common allergen. And so you're leaving a lot of people who may have an interest in this book behind. If they have like a soy allergy or a wheat allergy like you do, three of the five recipes that we made, as I mentioned earlier, called for like canned ingredients, but yet mm -hmm. you still have to make all these other things from scratch. So there just seemed to be like this real conflict between here's what I think is worth making from scratch and here's what you can just open a can of. Like, why would you use canned lentils in a dish? That seems like a weird shortcut. Really? Or making take. or making rice. Like, right. making rice is the easiest thing to do. Yeah, so if you're going to make something from, like, canned lentils or frozen rice, it's just not going to taste as good. And it's going to affect the flavor. And not to mention, like you said, it's just kind of, like, environmentally bad opening up a can of something and discarding it well and especially if you're vegan and you you would probably have these things in your pantry like right. and so if you don't have these things in your pantry or like if you do have these things in your pantry and you opt to make both lentils and rice that is an extra step i mean it's they're easy steps but it's an extra step correct um would you have I gave it a two as well. Yeah. There were a couple dishes that I thought taste-wise were pretty good. But the fact that there was one thing where I was just like <laughs> repulsed yes. by. Like something like that should never make it in a cookbook. I agree. Like, it was pretty like, bad. It was a melange of just weird ingredients the that ingre don't go together. Yeah. The ingredients themselves on their own. Great together like you might as well be eating out of a shoe or something yep. it's so gross <laughs> they should not have been invited to the same party so gross all right well now we've reached the gastro obscura portion of the show exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions experiences and ingredients what do you have for us today victoria okay so this comes from morocco it's called tahal and that is stuffed camel spleen. Whoa. So at the Fez Market, there are, you can find stalls that have loaves of meat that are loaves? made. Loaves of meat. Okay. Much like a meatloaf. Uh, they're made from camel, cow, and lamb, along with some spices, olives, and preserved lemon. You ever had camel? No, I have not. Yeah. There was a place downstairs in our they little market. They had camel place. burgers, yeah. yeah. And I never had a chance to try one before they closed. Mm -mm. So, anyway. All of the all of these ingredients are stuffed into a camel spleen, and can I just tell you this is giving me like haggis vibes? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Totally. Okay. So, it's baked ahead in communal bread ovens and then 
when you're at the stalls, you can get it sliced and griddled to order. You can customize it with herbs, vegetables, eggs, and it's placed in a version of a Moroccan pita. And it costs roughly about a little over a dollar. I'd try it. I would totally try Street it. Street meats. Yes. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Probably not uh, appropriate <laughs> for the vegan episode of the podcast, but I'm, I'm here for it. I am too. I'd, I'd rather eat that than the ceviche, I think. I thousand times <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, so if you enjoyed this episode, you can find us on our socials. Please rank and review us. Uh, our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And our Facebook is at we cook books. All right. I Make got, me laugh, sir. Uh, I with, need I need some jolly good time right now. I got now. you. Okay. In keeping with the theme of the show, I got a couple of vegan jokes okay. for you. Okay. Uh, why do vegans make the best friends? Because they will never have a beef with you. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I think that's the first time that I've elicited like coughs from you. Oh, Co- yeah, it was don't, like cough laugh. Don't don't feel too proud. I'm like getting over cold. Oh, I'll take credit for okay. it. <laughs> um, why is uh why is it called almond milk? Yeah. No one's gonna say nut juice without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, oh my god! I think I just and, peed myself a little bit. Oh no! <laughs> Besides, you don't want to Google nut juice. <laughs> Trust me. Shut. Okay. Props. I think that's like the funniest joke you've ever told. Should I let you go? (laughs) Yes, I have to go pee. Goodbye. Stay safe. All right. Stay hungry. 